0: Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We've got episode number two recording for you here on a Thursday night. Uh, I am your host, as always, Blake Murphy at BlakeMurphy7 on Twitter. Uh, You'll be able to also find my work at RevengeOfTheBirds.com, the name of the podcast. Joined, as always, by my co-host straight out of Chicago, Illinois, uh, the venerable John Venerable at Johnny's Football on Twitter. Johnny, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, Blake.
0: How are you, sir? Uh, pretty well. It's been a uh, interesting week. Uh, I know we broke down and kind of the rapid reaction for the Chiefs-Cardinals game. Going into the week, it seemed like that there was a bit of optimism, at least as far as some of the change, still a bit of negativity. But a lot of really what Arizona did set in. I think the more that we started looking at sacks, looking at the sack numbers, and just seeing some of the hits that Josh Rosen took just in the last few minutes of that game was a, a bit depressing, to be quite honest, John. That's where a lot of Cardinals fans seem to be really staking a whole lot on this upcoming Raiders game. Um, before we get into the Raiders game, I'd like to kind of take a look about some of the big news that we've seen throughout the week. Right now we've got Buda Baker has not been practicing. DJ Humphries, his knee seems to still be bothering him. You've got Robert Candice and Mike Yupati returning to practice. Rudy Ford is likely out. And you got a couple of new signings. You've got the former Raider who signed with the Chiefs earlier and then released in David Emerson, as well as uh, I believe it was the is not Darius Leonard, at least, but um, another cornerback that was signed as well. And uh, a lot of the talk seems to be about the, the Cardinals players, whether it's Ben Wickery or Jamar Taylor. They just don't seem to still be getting the zone coverage that Wilkes is running. And, uh, John, this is like, you know, week 10 that we're talking about. There's still a lot of questions about the zone coverage It's there. Patrick Peterson essentially is now back to being a man corner covering Tyreek Hill. What do you think at least is going on as far as with the Cardinals and some of the scheme? What are we still seeing right now from this team that's still causing them to struggle defensively even after taking strides?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's very much scheme-based, but there's a talent discrepancy as well. I think there's there are issues with combining the fact that they're still transitioning from a 3-4 to a 4-3 or kind of a hybrid defense where they use sometimes only two down linebackers, sometimes only one. I mean, we've seen Buda Baker play linebacker at times. And, you know, I I thought there'd be a little bit of a transition period for the defense. I didn't think we'd be talking about it in November. Now, I think it's a little premature to criticize the defense this week just because they had their best performance, I think, of the year – against the, the top offense in, in the league and uh, against Kansas City. And um, there have been praise for the defense, uh, but there should be. I mean, the Cardinals have some premier players defensively, best in the league at their positions in Chandler Jones and Patrick Peterson. I think Marcus Golden is a top 20, top 15 pass rusher when he's healthy. And they've got some underrated defensive linemen, uh, Buda Baker, like I just mentioned. So they the, the cover wasn't bare. And I think that that's why everybody was excited about the Wilks hire. Everybody thought that they could, take the next level. I think the biggest disappointment with that has been the play and the lack of production from the two first round linebackers in Hassan Reddick and and Dayom Buchanan. And so you think about, well, the Cardinals are still struggling defensively scheme wise. um, And they've been running this scheme really since what April, May, when they start implementing that within OTAs. I mean, these are professionals. A lot of these guys have played hybrid style defenses before under James Boettcher, uh, maybe in different schemes outside of Arizona, either at the collegiate level, most colleges run four threes uh, or if they played on other teams, you know, Trey Boston, I think is a versatile player. He's still struggling to find his role, can't stay healthy. So I think it's a mixture of things, but here's what I'll say. Steve Wilkes right now does not have the benefit to basically go to ownership and say, I don't have the kind of players to succeed defensively these guys don't fit my scheme. No, 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 Steve, you were brought in because you're a, a smart defensive coach. We've got majority of our talent on the team on the defensive side. Like, why aren't you getting the most out of certain players? I think that's the th- frustrating part. You know, I'm, I didn't think Steve was brought in to maybe salvage the Robert Kimdichis of the world. But man, when you're talking about Kimdichi not being a factor, Hassan Redick looking like an average to below average player, depending on where he's being positioned, you know, question marks in the secondary did not have a good day against Kansas City. The front seven did, but not the secondary. It's just, it, it leads you to believe that, you know what? I, you can make an argument, Blake. The defense has more talent this year than it did last year when they had a top five finish under under James Betcher. I mean, they didn't have Marcus Golden last year. Um, Dayone Buchanan, I know, was injured partially last year. This year, they've got Dayon. Bynes is in his second year. Kim Dici, for the most part, has been healthy. I think the secondary is more talented than it was a year ago. I think Boston's better than anybody they had outside of Bethesda last year. So we're seeing this huge drop off because of steam change with a defensive head coach, you're 32nd in offense. And I think a lot of fans are just saying, what's the long-term benefit here? What's the long-term play? And there's just, there's no, no direction right now.
0: Yeah. That's where a lot of the, difficulties and struggles come from because the as you said we expected that after about eight or so weeks the defense would show up they would improve we even saw that against the Chiefs we saw a well-designed at least it was kind of the first week I felt the Cardinals came out with a excellent game plan that made use of mixing up the blitzes being able to use a lot of they actually use a lot of press man coverage especially utilizing Buda Baker both with rushing the passer and in coverage where he would reroute guys off the line of scrimmage at least or being able to see Patrick Peterson on when he was on Tyreek Hill not having to expect help over the top. It really limited the options that Patrick Mahomes actually had, and Arizona was being able to leave a linebacker in the coverage, at least to be able to make some of those tackles, whether it was on those screen plays or being able to, if Mahomes is trying to scramble, they did a great job of being able to contain him, force him to make some of these accurate throws, and the Chiefs, you know, give them credit, still drove down the field, used the anticipation. You can't really stop them. It can only slow them. It was a great job of coaching where it kept the game close enough in the end, Um, But part of that, I think, that's interesting to me is the credit in that game really goes to the offense, especially when you take a look at how they're able to drive down the first drive to be able to score a touchdown, to be able to kind of after that quick strike to be able to get back into the game, and then coming out of the half, they were able to go and have a drive that took up you know the majority of the third quarter, and then their defense were able to hold the Chiefs basically to uh, I think a little bit. There was one extra play. There wasn't a three and out, but the offense to me was what really deserved the credit, because instead of being on the field for ninety to a hundred steps, you're starting to kind of see what the defense would take look at. You're not seeing guys running wide open, so I think you can see the benefits that are inherent to some of the system. But it's also a testament then to the talent of, again, you have the Patrick Peterson. Chandler Jones was abusing Eric Fisher. You've got a guy like a Buddha Baker that you can use around in a multitude of ways. It's that second step of being able to say, yes, this is one of the top defenses in the league. And I think that's where Arizona is still being ranked pretty low overall. I think it's still 29th. And defensively, they're ranked 18th. You're looking at probably a top 10 defense last year. Um, they are still ranked top 10 in sacks. So the Blitz, Chandler Jones, um, now maybe you've got Marcus Golden back. Rodney Gunter seems to be kind of making use of one-on-one coverage, uh, or excuse me, one-on-one uh, beating his man in front of him again. But there's still a lot of question marks that people have. So there was an article today that we'll get into, John, uh, written by Bill Barnwell from ESPN. It was a good job covering. This is, uh, you know, a big national guy. He went and ranked his top 10 NFL head coaching vacancies and number 10, of the, number 10 was the Arizona Cardinals. Not only was it the lowest of the vacancies, which we can get into, but he ranked Steve Wilkes as a possibility to lose his job after the first season. Now, granted, he did say that Michael Bidwell is always given two years at least to his head coach. Um, that seems to be what most people believe for the most part right now. We'll have to see if that's going to hold up. There's still question marks about that. He was kind of curious more about the fate of Steve Kine, but I think that's the question I'll raise to you now, John, is with all these questions that we have with a lot of Cardinals fans how important is it with the coaching and is this a situation where after just one year you can move on or would there be more potentially consequences whether that's in having to start from scratch another rebuild or do you think that there would be a benefit from saying this isn't the guy let's get out now
1: I think there's a huge benefit to that and I, I think that when you make a mistake and I don't want to consider Steve Wilkes a mistake as a human being I think he's a good football coach I just think that he is not benefiting from where the league is moving towards, which is an offensive league. And so when you think about the fact that uh, – I'll go to an in-division rival. The San Francisco 49ers went through, I think, four coaches in four years. I mean, when they mm-hmm. went from Harbaugh to, you know, the gym teacher, what was his name, that they, that they promoted from oh within. Gosh,
0: yeah. Oh, uh, no, no, no. Tom Sula. Yep.
1: They gave Jim's Chip the Kelly a year. And then they went to Kyle Shanahan. I mean, it took them – they blundered the situation with Harbaugh. And then they moved on to Tom Sula. Tom Sula won five games for them. And they're like, no, 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 this isn't going to
0: work. That was, was the craziest him. thing about that. But it was, I think, behind the scenes, some of that was the weakness of the NFC West that year was part of the reason why they just were not winning consecutively. Like every other game, they were getting blown out. and They had a couple yeah. of bad teams, which that's kind of the trend we've seen again with the Arizona Cardinals.
1: Yeah, it it was one of those scenarios, Blake, where they just they kept looking for the right guy. They found him in Kyle Shanahan. He's not winning games, but they know he's the guy. I mean, he's he's putting up 30 points with Nick Mullins. I mean, like, wins aren't everything in the NFL. They're a lot, don't get me wrong, but they're not everything. And I think the point that I'm trying to make is Steve Wilkes, to me, at this point, is probably never going to be a head coach in the NFL again. So if you're going to part ways with him, you know that another team's not going to quickly snatch him up to be their head coach he was a one-year defensive coordinator in a now on a, a offensive dominated league I think a lot of this goes back to the fact that with Josh Rosen in the fold now you made that hire before you had Rosen as your franchise quarterback now you're you're in a position where you you could potentially win a Super Bowl within this first five years of of Rosen on this rookie deal or even further, but you got to get the right offensive coach. You know, I had somebody pose the question on Twitter the other day to me that why, why wouldn't you just let Byron Lefwich coach him into year two? I'm like, well, that's, that's probably what they're going to end up doing. But like, what if Byron Leftwich blows up next year? That's great for the Cardinals for one year. And then Byron Leftwich potentially gets a head job. Then what do you do? Like, you're always going to be asking yourself those kind of questions. It's what the Atlanta Falcons continually have issues with with Matt Ryan. His coordinators keep getting elevated. Uh, I think the same you know, situation could be made with the, with the Cardinals and Josh Rosen. Uh, if, you, if you're going to continue to go with Steve Wilks, and right now I don't know why you would, considering that the Cardinals are 32nd in offense and defensively, like we just mentioned, they're not making enough strides. I, I think, and I would disagree with Barnwell in his article, not because I'm a homer. I don't think it's going to be the best opening. Obviously, if, if the Packers' job's open, that's super appealing. Mm-hmm. Seattle, for whatever reason, if they go in a
0: different direction, Ravens' job is another one. That's right, in the fold. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I, I think it's a desirable place for a couple reasons. I think that location-wise, great place to live. A lot of these hot young offensive minds are on the West Coast anyway. I think that you think about the Cardinals having a lot of flexibility with their roster. They don't have a lot of big bad contracts. They've got 70 plus million in cap space coming up in the spring. Cardinals are going to have a top 5 pick. That's appealing. And then they have Josh Rosen. You have all of these pieces in place and you're going to go into next year knowing who your friend. I mean, what was the what's the biggest concern that everybody said about the Arizona Cardinals? In twenty in their mm-hmm. uh, co- coaching shirts in 2018 and 2013. They didn't have a quarterback in place, right? Mm-hmm. Every time they've gone into looking for a coach, other than with Ken Wisenhunt, and keep in mind, Ken Wisenhunt was a big get for the Cardinals. I mean, he was the Steelers' offensive coordinator. He wanted to come to Arizona because of the fact that they had a franchise quarterback in place. I mean, that was a
0: good hire for them. And so. I'm fascinated that we left a change from Matt Leiner to Kurt Warner after That's another. right. It's took Ironically enough. There. But like, I don't think a
1: lot of coaches want to be tied to Lamar Jackson. I don't think a lot of coaches want to be tied to if, you know, some, the Cleveland Browns ownership. I mean, the Cardinals have – that. I think that's just public perception because they don't know any better, and I think that's also because a lot of people just assume Steve Wilkes is going to stay, so we're not going to rate him much higher. I mean, a lot of things didn't make sense on that list. I think they had the Lions fourth. And they just hired Matt Patricia. Like, they're not going to fire Matt Patricia after one year. They were lucky. I think they thought they were lucky to get him. Um, right. And so I, I think that the Cardinals are, are in one of the best spots to land a young offensive mind that they've ever been in. Much. I feel much better about the state of the team when looking and recruiting a new head coach than I did a year ago. I mean, a year ago, Blake, you remember – Yep. We, were, we were just looking ahead to the draft, praying that one of these guys was going to fall to us. We had issues, offensive issues that we talked about. David Johnson was coming off a, a injury-plagued season. Uh, they didn't have a ton
0: of cap space to spend. Gerald was a question. That was That's thing. right.
1: Palmer, the lingering retirement of Palmer, the lingering retirement of Arians. Defensively, you had a bunch of question marks. Some of them are still unanswered. But now you at least have some clarity. And so, whereas the Cardinals didn't have that a year ago, you could make a change. Uh, at the head coaching spot, can make a change at the GM, go in and, and sell all the points I just made. I, I, think, I think it would be a top three to five destination. I don't think there's going to be as many openings as you think. But if the Cardinals' job becomes available, I, I think it will be better than it, it's been perceived in the past.
0: Yeah, I think uh, for me the interesting part of that article was what Barnwell talked about where he was less – thinking that it was going to be Steve Wilkes in danger so much as that it would be Wilkes in danger as a result of Steve Kime. And that's kind of something that, John, you and I have talked about have been the misses that Kime has had, the offensive line, the issues. But it still would be at least quite a bit of a surprise if after one down season that he would let Steve Kime walk. Now, maybe as we talked about the DUI, perhaps that adds an added factor onto it. Maybe the expectations in 2017 and the expectations in 2016 that weren't reached Perhaps that ends up kind of adding a little bit to it where they expected to do a bit more. Maybe you add in the Condici and the Redick, um, the disappointments that are there. But it does kind of seem like that there's really two options for the Cardinals here that I see. At least there might be, a th- there might be a- door number three, at least, which we'll talk about in a second. But door number one seems to be to keep the status quo for another year where you've got Wilkes, you have which The Rosen will keep that consistency. You give them a year to whether it's add talent, add guys, you know, maybe it is gonna be an area of the scheme adjustment on for both players and you come back and then see what you have in year two. And if it doesn't work, then you know you can just move on well, the ship. The problem that most Cardinals fans obviously seem to have with that first door outside of really seeing that Leftwich through two games has so far looked like he's been a bit of a stud is you don't really seem to have a place to go from there unless you're going to just promote Leftwich after year two. And then you're still going to be questioning about Steve Kime. It just feels kind of like you're almost getting a, a pass. And a lot of people, I think, are just wondering, does that mean that you're potentially wasting another year or even with Leftwich, since there's still a lot unproven? You're, you're just not sure. So that kind of seems to be the first door. The second door that you end up having at least um, is if you let both guys go then you're kind of having to start from scratch maybe you take a look out of what the Cardinals tried to do in 2013 when they brought in Bruce Arians as the last coach that was hired they tried to hire Andy Reid first went out tried to target the coach bring him in right away even before they had the GM Steve Keim was I believe hired to be the GM on January 8th Andy Reid was hired by the Chiefs on January 4th perhaps that would be the approach and I would think that if you are going to let go of Steve Wilkes and Steve Kine you need to make sure that you know who your guy is to go out and get ahead of time just because you you want to make sure that if you're moving on from a coach you can't just sit back wait till the end of the line and then do the same thing that you did last year because other teams are already going to be moving on going through the whole process working it out that was something that you kind of could afford to do last year this year recognizing this is bad we need to fix it I think some of that maybe was them Overstating at least and thinking they had a bit more talent on their roster, a little bit more sustainability than they did. The the third door and the third option at least that I don't see as a fit would be to you know keep Wilkes and let go of Kime. I don't think anyone believes that's going to happen. But what if you're taking a look at if you keep Steve Kime under contract, you say this is a guy who we've seen him succeed in the past. Like you talk about make that mistake and then you're looking at some other coaches. That to me seems something where maybe I could see some fans would still be a bit upset at Kime, but you'd at least still have a proven general manager. You'd be able to then just say, hey, if it's a coaching issue that we have and there's been some talent issues and some misses, but he's done it before in the past, I think that would be the area that would be the most likely for the Cardinals to pursue versus just clean sweep of everyone. Maybe there's going to be other areas we don't know about, but I would lean toward either – They'd be more likely to keep Steve Kiker, who as we all know, he sits in that box with Michael Bidwell. There's an established relationship there. There's a lot as far as I can go to. We, we can even go into today. Steve Wilkes today at least praised the Raiders for their ability to get to the quarterback. And a lot of people are like, Steve Wilkes, what what film are you watching? There's even a Jamarcus Russell type joke about that they were like giving Steve Wilkes blank tapes. Yeah, that's, and that's
1: super embarrassing.
0: And that was awkward just because maybe he's trying to praise the Cardinals. I think that it, maybe it's an area of, they you know, the offensive line is so bad. If you praise the Raiders' pass rush ahead of time, perhaps that covers a little bit for if there's late. Later in the weekend, there are still issues. I don't know if it's that deep or trying to end up having any type of those games to play. I, I would doubt toward it, but it does seem to indicate, John, like that there just seems to be ever since that first interview that Wilkes had after the Redskins game, there just seems to be so many questions about it for that. And I think it more centers around those questions people have dragged up about Kyim, the talent and everything. But again, it just does feel like there are so many questions about this coaching staff that we have to know where we're going to go from there. And, and I don't even think, I don't use a thing. I don't even think it's a defensive versus offensive sure I think that the league leans toward offensive a lot of teams went out hired offensive coaches all looking for kind of that next Sean McVay um, Bears seem to have found some of the as we talked about in Matt Nagy but I think it's about finding a good coach and then being able to know that you can get a good play caller to go with him to help develop the quarterback the Titans seem to have done that this year with a kind of aggressive defensive head coach and Mike Vrabel who has allowed uh, Matt LaFleur to be able to work with helped develop Mariota their offense has struggled to start the year started to turn it around to beat the Patriots what's most interesting to me was how many times he went for it on fourth down to win a game I think with Blaine Gabbert at quarterback it was just this type of area of look guys we're going to be aggressive we know we can beat them we're going to go push through they're able to run the ball whether it was the design or how it was the faith in him it was just an area of you felt like it was a spot of they were playing to push and to win the game and a lot of efforts and I don't know if I've seen that John throughout the season at least for sure not when we had Mike McCoy I know that we've seen it in two games so far we saw it with the Niners game at the end of the game where the way that they played offensively and defensively and we saw it in the Chiefs game up until that interception that Josh Rosen made we saw the Cardinals going out and working twin up until that point there hasn't been a lot and that's why I think a lot of fans wouldn't be too disappointed to see Steve Wilkes go
1: yeah, he just has shown no indication that he is the long-term answer at head coach. Cardinals have been spoiled with their last two head coaches. The last two head coaches outside of the great Don Coryell in the 70s have been the greatest coaches really in the history of the franchise in Arizona. Wisenhunt and Bruce Arians. And so mm-hmm. was it fair to ask Wilkes to follow those guys? Not really. But at the same time, like that should be the standard. The coach you hire should be in place for the next 10 plus years. You know what I mean? And the only reason Bruce Arians is not still around is because he retired. And otherwise, he'd still be the head coach of this team as long as Steve Kahn was the GM of this team and they were connected together. Uh, and, and ownership loved Bruce Arians. And he, mm-hmm. he could take an average roster like he did the last you know year and a half with, with a plethora of injuries and get them somehow to 500 in a really competitive div- division. Steve Wilkes has given no indication. What great head coaches do is they elevate players. They put them in the best positions to be successful schematically, and then they elevate them because not everybody on your roster is going to be a star is going to be a pro bowl kind of player, Mm -hmm. but you're going to have guys who are French players, but can craft out a niche like JJ Nelson is unplayable right now. JJ Nelson had a really mm-hmm. under the radar nice year for Bruce Arians in 2016 because Bruce Arians, right? The Steve Wilkes to me, because he is just so unequipped offensively as a head coach. I mean, like, I get it. You you want to specialize in one side of the ball, that's fine. I'd prefer to be on the offensive side, but you can't be that inept offensively to the point where you're completely deferring to somebody like Mike McCoy. You're at the mercy of Mike McCoy. And then you have these press conferences where you don't come off particularly, you know, bright sometimes. And I think he is a bright guy. I just think he's, he's almost forced into this situation too quickly. I mean, he was a one year defensive coordinator. He wasn't Mike Zimmer, who was a fantastic defensive coordinator with Cincinnati for many years, finally earned his shot was really the defensive version of Bruce Arians. I mean, Wilkes, the Cardinals thought they could catch lightning in a bottle with an up-and-coming assistant. Um, And frankly, not a lot of the offensive candidates were looking at the Cardinals. Uh, they were talking to the Mike, Mike Munchacks of the world. I mean, underwhelming candidates. They got spurned by the, the coach that went on to the coach of the Giants now. Uh, yeah, Shermer. Yeah, Pat Shermer. Shermer burned them.
0: Oh, they week. wanted Pat Shermer and Eli. It's like if that was one of the, the attempts and strategies, was pair one of those Vikings quarterbacks with Pat Shermer. That was yeah. an area of, you know, we, we talked about at the almost it's not rookie quarterback fear, but it's a desire to win now and being yeah. able to kind of put together whether it was a winning with defense. It just seemed like there was. a a lack of desiring to kind of embrace the rebuild for a year so that's going to be interesting to look at with the coaching decisions as far as if they do move on from Steve Wilkes what will be kind of the counterpoint to that I think that they would obviously lean offensive but would they go for an experienced head coach or would they try to look to the college ranks would they end up looking to like a guy who's not been a head coach before would they even interview Leftwich if he continues to press I I honestly don't know John there's a lot to be figured out at least for the most part and I think I could
1: I could not interrupt you, Blake. I would bet my mortgage, my life, my 401k, everything that's of value to me financially. I would bet it on the Cardinals hiring an offensive coach Mm -hmm. if they fire Steve Wilkes. I can, I, I guarantee you. I don't even think they'll interview a defensive coach. I think they'll hire an offensive coach. I don't know if he'll be young or old, but I guarantee you, that's the you. You can't be this bad offense. The Cardinals aren't only 32nd in the league. They have been historically bad. We broke it down. On, on Sunday's podcast, they've only scored 20 plus points one time this year. Mm-hmm. The, the, the next head coach of the Cardinals, if it's not Steve Wilkes, is going to be an offensive guy.
0: Yeah. The only question I think at least for that one is, uh, I know that John Harbaugh, some are talking about him leaving. I don't think that he would go to the Cardinals. The Broncos seem to almost be the natural fit, as people seem to keep talking about maybe a potentially a mutual parting of ways. The new GM that's coming in, uh, I don't know how much of drafting Lamar Jackson seems to fit. doesn't seem to totally fit the John Harbaugh mode that went and handed that mega contract to Joe Flacco. But it just that's where Cardinals fans are right now. And so I think we'll get into some more questions about with the future of Wilkes. We'll get into that when we kind of preview at the end of the podcast going over the upcoming and Raiders game. But for now, let's talk about the offensive line, John. We are in the middle of perhaps one of the lowest stretches that we've seen ever since kind of the renaissance under Arians. We got to see a little bit of a – kind of a small turn during the Super Bowl year, at least with some consistency for the offensive line with Kurt Warner. A lot of struggles from the year 2010 to 2012, especially in 2012, I believe. Uh, Looking at how Kevin Cobb was sacked, I believe it was nine times in a single game against the Rams. And then you come, come into the 2013 year, Levi Brown gets cut. Cardinals kind of make do with the patchwork line. And then through 2014 and 2015, you kind of see a little bit of a renaissance, at least especially during the first eight games of 2015, Still wasn't perfect, at least. You still saw, you know, Carson Palmer did have an ACL that was torn. Mm -hmm. Some of that was a non-contact injury. Maybe the offensive line was playing there, but with how badly that they'd been run blocking, it's tough to be able to know. Time signs Jared Valdez, signed Mike Yopati. You start to see things turn around a lot. You end up having that NFC Championship game. They're not able to stop down the stretch. A lot of guys were banged up. Palmer was banged up. Just a lot of things fell apart there. Enter 2016, and you've not really had a consistent offensive line ever since. And part of that, I think, does start with the fact that, you know, Mike Yupati got hurt quite a bit. I believe he missed almost all of 2017. He missed games sporadically in 2016. You look at the guy they were looking at in 2016 also with, um, uh, you know, Evan Mathis, a big time at least – one year six million dollar deal signing still expected to be the starter didn't play i think he played maybe half, less than half a game for the arizona cardinals with a bad foot going to the end of the 2016 you see about i think it was their fifth string guard that they got down to at one point or a fifth string tackle it was just crazy they found john wetzel out of all of that going to 2017 same issues you have you potty ends up missing the year you end up not having really a really stable time. at right guard or left guard had to bring Earl Watford back after an injury. Alex Boone ends up manning left guard for you. Uh, you end up switching to D.J. Humphreys, Jared Valdir, Valdir struggles. You just look at how the team kind of tried to work. It seems like they were pursuing a goal of, here's how we want to be as the Cardinals. We're going to pay our offensive linemen out. Then we want to draft and develop to save, kind of find value on the line. And then when it didn't work out in 2017, Come into that 2018 year, you reach out and you keep Humphreys at left tackle. You restructure, you potty, try to make a run first team. You bring back Aq Shipley who goes out with injury. You sign Justin Pugh, a guy who you know was pretty solid overall at right guard, wasn't was a little shaky at right tackle. And then you bring in Andre Smith, which is kind of in the mood that win based it as far as being just a poor signing, poor play. You guy knew was a run blocker but just could not hold up at all on the edge as far as a tackle it was not going to be a good fit, no matter whether it was Bradford Glennon or Josh Rosen behind center. So now we're in the spot, John. We, we have to fix the offensive line. And to me, that kind of starts with looking at free agency. So I'll open up the floor to you as far as with free agency draft. What is kind of some of the strategies do you think the Arizona Cardinals how, – how would Johnny's football, John Venerable, fix this Arizona Cardinals offensive line?
1: Man, that's a tough question because we've been asking it as fans of the Arizona Cardinals for like 20 years, 30 years. The last Cardinal that made a Pro Bowl outside of Mike Iupati in 2015 was Lomas Brown, I think in like (laughs) 1994. I can't remember the last homegrown Arizona Cardinal offensive lineman to make a Pro Bowl like it's it's been i i would i would say somebody on those great cardinal teams of the uh, late 70s early 80s like um you know conrad dobler somebody like that where you know one of those old guard tackle combos of this you know uh, just nobody of note so i'm getting off track but what what i what i'm the point i'm trying to make is it's been a while the cardinals Need to basically cut bait with about three fourths of their offensive line, four fifths potentially. I'm gonna. Here's what I would do. Depending on how we finish the the season, I'm gonna bring back D.J. Humphreys as my left tackle. He, I think, plays better when he's got better players around him. I think that he only. I think he turns 25 in December. He's still relatively young. He's on the fifth year option next year, so really you could really wait to pay him as long as you need to. You could franchise him. You could extend him if he plays well. I'd have no problem extending him if he plays well. I love paying quality offensive linemen. Uh, the Cardinals just haven't had any homegrown linemen to pay. So he's my left tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I would make every other position available. I would I would cut Mike Ayupati. Um, I would bring back Mason Cole as my starting center um, assuming I couldn't find an upgrade in free agency of the draft. I would cut Andre Smith because for whatever reason, he's under contract next year. And I would have to think long and hard about cutting Justin Pugh now that he's going to be out rehabbing all off season said this on Sunday. Uh, he's due about 8 million next year. If you cut him, you have about 8 million in dead cap money. The Cardinals are going to have money to burn in the off season. They can eat that money if they have to. I'm certainly not going to count on him as being my starting right guard. Um, so now you have you have three starters, left guard, right guard, right tackle. You're not going to be able to fill all of them in free agency, uh, and the free agent crop of offensive linemen is not pretty. And the guys who are you know, fringe players, quality players like the Andrew Levitries of the world, the Atlanta Falcons, are probably going to get re-signed. So here's what I would do. I would, I would have done this um, over the trade deadline. I'm going to call up John Gruden and the Oakland Raiders, and I'm going to see who was available on the Oakland Raiders offensive lines, specifically on the interior offensive line. The Oakland Raiders have minimal talent on the roster, but their interior offensive line is probably one of the best in football. And they're being downgraded because they're being coached by Tom Tom Cable (laughs) right now. Um, So I, I would call them up and I would offer probably a day three pick that could turn into a day two pick for either Rodney Hudson, who is an outstanding Pro Bowl center. Or Gabe Jackson, who is the right guard. KO, so Kal- Kalichi Asamale. Um Kalichi Asamele. Osanele, o- o- yes. I think, yeah. <laughs> He's been good for a long time. He's too banged up now. He's too banged up, too many, too much tread on the tires. Gabe Jackson was taken um, in the twenty fourteen NFL draft. It's a very nice young player. He's twenty-seven, be twenty-eight next summer. So theoretically He's signed through, I think, the age of 30, 31. Get a couple good seasons out of him, 6'3", 335. I would offer a fourth-round pick for Gabe Jackson uh, and insert him at my right guard position. I think that would be an upgrade for this team. I think he would be, at at the worst, I think he'd be a good player for this team. And then I would probably have to turn my attention to the draft. Um, there's nobody else in free agency that I could look at it as, as somebody that the Cardinals could target. Maybe, maybe you go, if Steve Wilkes is still around, I think you've got to talk to Ray Brown. You got to look at that Carolina Panther offensive line. S- somebody like Darrell Williams is a little bit appealing. Now he's on IR right now. It's the right tackle for Carolina. I remember him coming out of Oklahoma. I liked him. He he was taken in the same draft as DJ Humphreys 2015 draft. Um, if he can come back and prove that he's healthy, he's a free agent, that might be a, a flyer one-year deal. I have no mm-hmm. problem with that. But um, really, the, the, the building's got to be done in the draft. That's where your resources have to go. And so there are a, a slew of quality offensive tackles coming out. So thankfully, I think the Cardinals, if they opt to go offense, will have their pick. Um, I, I think this this group right now coming out – is one of the more athletic groups of tackles that I've seen in some time. We always talk about tackles being lumbering or road graders. I think it's the opposite with this class. I, I think these, the, the Greg Littles, the Jawan Taylors, uh, I, I think these guys are super athletic. We, we live in an age now where everybody runs the spread. Everybody can move. You know, Jonah Williams in particular is just a super athletic young man from the mm-hmm. University of Alabama he would probably be my pick right now. If the Cardinals are not in a position to take a premier defender, like a Joey Bosa, I'm going to go Jonah Williams and make him my right tackle next year. He's an immediate starter. He's played right tackle before, which makes me feel better about this because he's, it's not like DJ Humphreys who had never played right tackle. He's Mm -hmm. played right tackle. Now he's at left tackle. Uh, If Humphreys flames out next year, you can move him to left tackle for 2020. Um, He, you know, the, the 2018 draft was not great for tackles. It's going to be great for this – for tackles this year. He does – he handles speed off the edge exceptionally well. He gets quick out of his stance. Um, and he's – again, we've, we've based B- Bama tackles before. Andre Smith comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Jonah Williams does not fit in that mold. They, they run a completely different offense than they used to. This is not the Derrick Henry ground and pound offense. This is the, the two-way offense that's high fly. And I think the Cardinals would like to run with Josh Rosen to some effect out of the shotgun he needs to put on a little bit of weight I think he's right around 300 305 get him up to 315 he's 6'5 so then you go into next year you know I have an addressed left guard I would probably look for some kind of developmental player I mean if you want to use two of your first three picks on offensive line I would be all be all for that if you know I'm not as familiar enough with the with the prospects right now to look at a day two or a day three player but I mean Mason Cole DJ Humphreys Jonah Williams Gabe Jackson Um, And if you wanted to bring back Pugh and if he's healthy, fine. Um, You know, he's a replacement player at this point, but that's what I would do. Um, And I think it's realistic. I don't think, and and again, you have a ton of money left in free agency to go and be creative and get, see the great thing about this free agent class is that the Cardinals have, have issues in a lot of different places and they can just go out and get the best player at a position. They can go out and give Sheldon Richardson big time money to be there premier defensive tackle on the defensive line they can get creative they want to go pay golden tate to be the number two or three receiver or theoretically the number two receiver on this team if larry fitzgerald leaves they want to pay for his overpay for his services i'm fine with that so the, the cardinals have a, a unique chance to, to be creative but i think the offensive line the fact of the matter is Blake, great offensive lineman, rarely hit the market you got to mm-hmm. draft and develop them
0: Yeah, I think that's what we saw with the Cardinals was they went and they did pay kind of maybe not the premier. uh, I, I think that he was the premier, at least as far as tackle in 2014, when he became available in Jared Valdir and the next year they paid Mike a potty. they did kind of seem to stop that in 2017 they followed that up with getting a guy who was you know solid with Pew I think that it'll be interesting to see if they do end up with either a different scheme whether it's going to be a another year there's still going to be questions about injuries so I think that you are going to have to look to like you said the draft uh, from my perspective what I would take a look at honestly is the rest of the Cardinals, uh, as far as the approach that you would have, is going to have to need a balance between who is it that you have that you're maybe not having to be stuck with, but who would you have that you can work with and build around. So for me, that starts with the combination of A.Q. Shipley and Mason Cole, because if Cole, you're going to have to evaluate is he the guy who's going to be kind of your franchise center for the long term? Because I think that that's a big thing. That a lot of Cardinals fans after the first two weeks like, "Oh, this guy's our franchise center." After the weeks after that, it's like, "Okay, well, maybe he needs to get a little bit more strength left." I think that the fact that you're bringing back Aq Shipley, a guy you know can man that spot, uh, even though he's coming off of injury, it's uh, torn ACL. It's still an area where you know what he can bring. He's a known quantity in case you do see kind of a second year drop off from Cole. I still think this is a guy who, again, Iron Man, who's played like every game since high school. I would think that that would be where it starts with him. The second thing that you'll want to look at, I think, is the fact that because of the contract and because of even with the $8 million in dead money, I don't think you can move on after one year from Justin Pugh. I think that you're going to have to look at a second year. It doesn't seem like it's an Adam Snyder case where you're benching him because he's so bad. Uh, it's a case where he's struggled and has not played great, but I think you bring him back a year two, and then I think that you're going to have to also kind of back up with maybe some veteran depth, another guy maybe on a one-year deal who's a proven starter. That maybe is your swing tackle. Maybe you re-sign John Wetzel, and John Wetzel, uh, he ends up being your guy that you have as your potential starting right guard. If Justin Pugh doesn't work out, you know he's done it before in the past, then you can kind of look into rest. What's great about this year as far as free agency goes is there's a lot of quality guard that who are veterans that you can go and acquire you can take a look at least with um, Roger Saffold is kind of the name that seems to come up the most he's 30 years old so he's kind of in that spot of starting to turn the corner he's not like a guy like 26 or even 27 but if you're taking a look at him as far as for 30, a lot of guards play until they're 32, 33, some even 34. If you're looking at probably giving him, say, maybe a two- to three-year deal, probably a three-year deal, about maybe $21 million, maybe $13 million guaranteed, taking him away from the division rival Rams, being able to kind of lock him down for recognizing that most contracts these days, they're a two-year deal. I think that that may be a spot of you kind of take a veteran, something of strength from another team, add that onto to yours, still give him the chance in maybe two to three years to hit the free agency market or lock yourselves into more of a shorter term deal at his age. And that way, at least if it doesn't end up either working out or if age caps off or if you need to look at bringing him back down the road, then that may be an option you look at. But it's not just Saffold you have to look at. You also have a guy like Andy Levitre with the Buffalo Bills. Steelers Ramon Foster is also available. Not the biggest guy in Quentin Spain, but between that and the possibility of trading for a guy like a Gabe Jackson, I think there's plenty of options, at least in the, for this year, for the Cardinals to find a left guard. For me, what I'm more curious about, like you, yeah, I think you mentioned Daryl Williams, he was probably a top 10, maybe even top 5 right tackle in the NFL before he leaves Tara's ACL and is out for the year. Not sure what the Panthers are going to do with him. I know that that would be a probably a really solid fit with the guy being able to come in underneath if they're still looking at um, uh, their offensive line coach stays the same with Ray Brown for the Cardinals. Uh, I would also look at Juwan James, a guy the Cardinals actually were thinking about drafting uh, in the NFL draft at 19th overall. They were picking 20th. I believe the Miami Dolphins took him right in front of their pick. Uh, they were kind of knowing they were going to be moving on from Bobby Massey. And he was a guy who was, you know, been okay. He hasn't been great. He has been pretty solid. I think if you take a look at, Uh, his age right now i believe he's 21 21 or 22 years old right now Um, but he's a guy who if you're going to say hey you know what we just need to get a second offensive lineman in here who's able to be steady who's able to man the position and be able to perform yeah he's 26 years old so still pretty young overall He's a former first round pick he's got the talent i think he's a guy who's not going to be maybe a elite tackle but as far as for what you're looking for it's just Basically a guy you can say, hey, you're our version, at least of how the Bears view Bobby Masson. You're coming in on this side. You're manning the position for a couple of years. You can pay that guy, I think. Uh, Maybe I was looking at maybe a three-year, $20 million deal. It's not going to be a guy that's going to break the bank. Daryl Williams, if he was healthy, might have been one of those guys to do it too. And then after that, I think that you are – Right is potentially having to trade. I do like the game Jackson pick. I wouldn't probably go for anything higher than a day three pick. Uh, the next place I think I'd look to is the draft. One of the guys that I think that I would be interested in finding out about would be um, the fact that you've got quite a few picks, uh, whether it's from Alabama's offensive line, who are all fascinating. Like we've talked about Jonah Williams, a guy who can anchor. I think he's a starter at left tackle. I don't know if he's a guy who is going to end up being overly dominant. I think there's questions at least some have about whether his strength is there. I know his technique has been, and footwork has been, Oh, excellent. Uh, there's some people who have talked about moving him to guard. I, I don't think that's something that you do. He's Man's in the position. He's so athletic overall that he can, I think, man that spot even to the fact that he's a smaller size with a little bit smaller arms. Uh, Alabama has a guy in a Roche Pierschenbacher who's, you know, if you're talking about Alabama offensive linemen the fact that you see a couple of guys like Ajari Evans and other people who seem to perform in the NFL, it seems to be at the guard position that a lot of guys are there, even as we talked about earlier. Um uh, with evan mathis he was a former alabama guard it seems that the tackles have been questionable because alabama had run the ball so much but there haven't been questions about the interior offensive lineman like ryan kelly when he went to the colts in the first round he's a guy who i think if you're taking a look at it in the second round if you're having a high pick in the second round don't know if he's going to be a first round guard he very well could be depending on the team but Given in the defensive draft. I think you take a look at him. And then I think it's Bo Bench was uh, Bench, Bench, whale. I think it's how you pronounce his name. I've had to watch a little bit of Wisconsin this year, as far as just taking a look at uh, Jonathan Taylor. But when we talk about who the best offensive lines are in college football, it's always the same type of guys. You always talk about these Bama guys. You talk about the Wisconsin players running the football. You talk about who Stanford recruits um, Michigan, even for years was sending guys like Taylor Lewan. you had Evan Bain. There seem to be these kind of factories where guys can come in with enough knowledge and, experience to be able to take it uh, and take the next step and the next leap. So what I'm going to be most curious about, and I'll kind of toss this to you, John, is the Cardinals are in a spot where maybe they're not picking top three, where you're not landing, uh, you know, you're not landing the, the Bama defensive line. You're not landing an Ed Stinson. You know, you're not landing your Ed Oliver. That's <laughs> a little bit different as far as for the talent there. And you're not landing a, a Nick Bosa. Are you going to be in a position where you would try to maybe not move back, but, would you potentially take a Jonah Williams maybe if it's not considered reaching? I think we'll find out throughout the draft process if it is going to be a reach or if he's the guy who's worthy of a top 10 pick. But do you think that it's important enough to the offense that the need and the value of him being able to come in and play a right tackle or even left tackle of DJ Humphreys is there could outweigh potentially another skilled position. And we haven't even talked about if Patrick Peterson leaves this team and you have another pick too, that's, that's a whole other can of worms, but the thing I'm going to propose to you then, John, is Is this a Levi Brown type of situation if you take the tackle potentially even over one of those other players?
1: Yeah, I think the Cardinals are not in a position where they can be particular. They need to take the best player available outside of, like, a you know, another down linebacker. I mean, they're, they struggle to stop the run, and they struggle to pass protect and run block. And I, I think the Cardinals would be best served at taking the highest-rated offensive or defensive lineman they're not going to be a position where i think that they can be even if they trade peterson i mean taking somebody like greedy williams i mean does that really help you in the long run devin white i mean these are tremendous players but the cardinals we've seen that before we've seen the cardinals have great corner play and be terrible and we've seen the cardinals take high you know praised linebackers that are 6 240 you know devin white and hassan Redick almost have the exact same measurables it's insane but at the same time like you just what what wins in this league i, I still believe this i think it's still true outside of quarterback plays you have to control the line of scrimmage and the cardinals just can't do that enough now they played great sunday defensively and it showed that okay maybe there is something to this defensive group uh, up front but Corey Peters is not getting any younger. You need to find that next great defensive tackle. And I think that it's going to be a little bit damning on Steve Keim. We're like, where are the positions that the Cardinals need to address? Offensive tackle. We took one of those in the first mm-hmm. round. Defensive tackle. We took one of those in the first round.
0: Linebacker. linebacker.
1: Mm-hmm. He's taken two of those. So it's just like, is that an indictment of Steve? Probably. And it's so, I, so many people complaining about him and keeping his position. Like I wouldn't be opposed to them, you know, letting him go, but you know, at the same time, like, I am not reaching on a tackle to take a tackle. I think that if you want to trade down and take a tackle, great. But if you're, if you're staying put and there's not a tackle, even Jonah Williams, if you don't have Jonah Williams as high as others and you want to take uh, Rashawn Gary if he blows up the combine like I, like I think he will, I, I think there are going to be some some fast risers because I think this is going to be one of the best defensive line classes we've ever seen. If you just wanna stand pat and take a Dexter Lawrence or a Christian Wilkins or, you know, somebody like that, or if you want to trade down and you wanna take a Juwan Taylor from Florida or a Greg Litter from Old Miss and you get a couple more picks, that's great. But I'm not gonna take a tackle just to take a tackle. It has to fit mm-hmm. the 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 it has to fit the slot you're drafting, it has to fit the the value, this is the word I'm looking for. The value has to be there. And if the value's there, great. The Cardinals have way too many options in this draft. The positions of need to be uh, in a position where they have to reach. And so that's why I'm optimistic that it's going to work out and you're just going to be like, Oh, it's a no brainer. Cardinals take X player. Right. Mm -hmm. And we'll have, I don't think the Cardinals are going to win more than four games this year. So it's a guaranteed they're going to have a top five pick there's, you know, and, and I would assume at least one of those players is a quarterback. So you're talking about like you just rank four players and you're going to be able to get one of them. And there's a good chance if there's – like if Greedy Williams balls out and Patrick Peterson stays around, you're, you're not going to need a corner. You're not going to take another corner that high. You're not going to take right. Devin White that high. So, again, lot, a lot of the time to play around with. Derek Brown's another guy I love from, from Auburn. I mean, there's so many quality
0: defensive tackles. Just, you know, rate them and pick one. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's interesting about this year's draft class is – when you're talking about the needs, you're almost in a spot where you have to replace one of those players. You have to almost draft a tackle to replace uh, DJ Humphries. Perhaps you can wait a year if you need to and then look at free agency if you draft a right, if you're going to sign a right tackle. You're still going to have to probably bring in at least another defensive lineman. You can't just keep you know, trotting Corey Peters and um, keep trotting out, even though he's been playing uh, fantastic this year with Corey Peters and Rodney Gunter. You're still looking for kind of an impact player. you got Marcus Golden entering free agency. I think the team would look to probably re-sign him. I don't know well, again obviously as we talk about with the staff what that'll look like I, he's obviously a guy who fits both the three four and a four three so that doesn't seem to be a concern and you probably aren't going to be replacing him unless you end up landing gary or where he's a, and a lot of times those guys end up being a situational pass rusher either uh, i think there's a lot of guys as far as just the depth that you're looking at for tackles this year um, trey adams at least is returning to washington he's been a kind of an injury plague season he's a guy who's probably a lot of people look at like that type of a, uh, you know, the maybe not quite a jake long at least but being able to look at kind of a franchise tackle as far as the size it's interesting to me at least you got two of those tackles at least coming out of oklahoma this year and there's big 12 questions but we did at least get to see over with the ravens this year just with after protecting baker mayfield's left side you're talking about you know a guy like with uh, bobby evans and even looking at cody ford some of these guys who've been playing the right tackle and left tackle those are guys available day two those are guys that you know might have a guy you can even take as far as a depth one at least at the beginning of day three if someone's still there. You even look at David Edwards as far as for a tackle out of uh, you know, Wisconsin a guy who could play either position and some interesting kind of looks also for some people are looking at is uh, wondering if the Patriots are going to be paying Trent Brown or not as far as their left tackle what it's going to look like with the Patriots and Brady there's at least quite a few options that you'll be able to have now it's not a great tackle class it's not like you can go out and sign a franchise left tackle that's very rare anyway but I think that there's at least enough depth overall at the guard position that the path to the Cardinals to fix this spot kind of becomes clear you got to find a left guard that's the first thing you want to get a veteran left guard, whether that's Saffold, whether that's going to be Levitre, whoever it is, go out, get a veteran left guard, make that kind of your first day of free agency splash to be able to cement that position after your potty leaves. Second, you'll want to probably just say, hey, we need to at least get a right tackle to replace, uh, to at least replace whatever Andre Smith has. Maybe that's going to be a veteran. Maybe that's going to be looking at some of these smaller guys, just kind of get a body to fill the hole. Maybe that's the position that you draft. Maybe you go and say, hey, we're going to get a left guard. We're going to get a you know discount right tackle. and We're going to focus on getting another lineman one of these days in day one or day two of the draft. I think that what the Cardinals will want to do then that will be most interesting is – you'll have to probably draft a tackle. And then I think that what, and this is, I think you want to back, uh, ask you about this, John, is you'll probably want to have a tackle that can play right tackle and potentially move to left tackle because you're not bringing DJ Humphreys back at this point.
1: Yeah, I think, I think you can absolutely make the argument to take your stud franchise left tackle in the first round and then come back and take a developmental one as early as the fourth round or, or something like that, or the third round. Uh, I think that's why we need to see what Corey Cunningham can do potentially these Mm -hmm. next couple games to see if he's worth keeping around as a swing tackle. Uh, But I, here's what I say that I think a lot of fans feel like Mm -hmm. it's just kind of the point of contention with this team. And I, I know it had to do with the injuries and they got caught kind of with their pants down last year, but the Cardinals took a running back in the fourth round this year when they had David Johnson under contract. Now he had, he'd gotten injured. Like, those are the kind of opportunities where like you can beef beef up your line your depth your qual-
0: I mean they found Bobby Massey in the fourth round I know Bobby wasn't great but like it was great yeah. his first season but then he turned in and developed and that's kind of what you'd hope for for DJ Humphreys to be able to mm-hmm. make that turn make the corner I think it's because he might have been a solid right tackle that he drafted he just was never in a spot where he could play right tackle he never was either couldn't develop or couldn't do it there and had to stick at left tackle and you just end up looking at that pick as hey someone else I, I'm not going to be the guy to pay this kid. I'll let someone else pay him that's how they felt about Bobby Massey that's probably how I feel about DJ Humphreys.
1: yeah and the point I'm trying to make is it's just like it just you don't have to take a a, an offensive lineman high every year but when you have David Johnson a lot of people like TJ Logan like did you really need to spend a fourth round pick on a on a a running back and Chase Edmonds when your offensive line when you're starting Andre Smith at right tackle I mean like this is this is self-made uh issues by Steve Kime. I mean, he's nobody to blame, but himself, um, you know, uh, bringing back IU potty Blake, you've mentioned it instead of keeping Jared Valdir, that was a mistake. Um, you know, Mason Cole being thrust into the lineup due to injury. Nobody could have foreseen that, but then like Pew has always been hurt. He was always hurt in New York. That's why the giants had no intention. The giants were terrible up front and the Cardinals gave him a five-year contract. I mean, what does that tell you? And he's just never been able to stay healthy. He's an average to slightly above average guard when he's fully healthy. But at this point, that's just his MO. He wasn't healthy at Syracuse. He was overdrafted. And then Andre Smith, that was just a complete, you know, I don't even know what to qualify that as. Yeah,
0: you know, what was the plan? What was the idea? It's kind of almost like, a, what, what did you expect? You were expecting to run the ball a lot and then have struggles and pass protection when you signed him. But at the age, at the stage that he was in, it was kind of a, yeah, this, this is exactly the position that you're going to get to. At some point you have to throw the football. And so it's a just a total swing and a miss. That's part of why people I think are down on Steve Kine even more than perhaps normal is just because it was such a bad swing and a miss without any type of backup plan outside of John Wetzel who I think for most of the year was probably your highest graded offensive tackle and he was agreed. The, agreed and then they kept benching him to go and put back in Andre Smith and it was just a, I was like why you have a young rookie quarterback. If you're going to run the ball with David Johnson, you're not running it effectively while you've got Mike McCoy. They kept putting Andre Smith back in there. And the run grades, you know, the run grades doesn't matter so much if you're in a position where because your defense is not playing well, you still have to throw the ball. And your rookie quarterback is still having to take all of those sacks. So it's, it's a spot where I understand that this is just – at some point you have to say this is where the Cardinals are – they're in a spot where they've got three doors that they can go down. It'll be up to Michael Bidwell, and they'll have to make one of those choices. I would not be opposed to if you did take a Jonah Williams just because if you can say, hey, take him a first year as a right tackle, do the same thing the Niners are doing, move him like with Mike McGlinchey taking over eventually for their style left tackle. Move him over the other side. He's had experience there before. That's the path that you want to take, and you're feeling comfortable that I'm fine if you go for that. I'm not fine if you do that over a complete game changer, the pass rusher to pair with Chandler Jones, who, by the way, is that I believe the number one uh, ranked as far as for percentage of plays that he makes a disruption on, whether it's a sack, interception, batted pass. He's basically the you could argue, the best defensive end in the NFL as far as that impact and that number is right now. Finding a partner to go with him and Marcus Golden would just be huge. It'd be what you would expecting from Robert Candice. You'd look at potentially leading the league in sacks like you did in 2016 when you had that Calais Campbell. That's another trade, or excuse me, another move that Steve Kye made where they they couldn't pay him maybe that was a spot of paying Jermaine Gresham for that one, or not at least franchising uh, Calais to bring him back for another year, one more year of competing at least. But, John, this is kind of where the Cardinals are. They've got three choices to go down. It all starts with the head coach. But as we wrap up that part, at least for now, I just want to say, what do you think is the move that the Cardinals – cannot make on the offensive line what would be the thing you would have to caution about or stay away from because first thing you said when you're talking about taking a day two or day three offensive lineman, first thing you thought of was all of these offensive linemen that steve Kime took round four or later and how badly all of them busted out after less some of them less than a year um but for the most one was one or two years off the team off the roster some even out of the nfl
1: yeah the dorian johnsons of the world i i don't mean you know day late day three picks i mean like that sweet spot in the second third and even the fourth round where you can find good players up front on the offensive line i mean i just talked about how much i love gabe jackson he was a third round pick uh i think he went to mississippi state um the, to me the the biggest issue you have to avoid i think is signing the veteran aging offensive lineman like pew like guys in their 30s giving them big money deals i get it you may have no other choice. I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that these linemen aren't getting coached up at the college level. You have less time to work with them in the offseason because of the CBA. So you're like, I'm stuck. I have to go and pay these guys. So I, I get you have to bring them in. Just don't give them a bunch of money where you're hampered to play them like Andre Smith, who gets a two-year deal. And I'm sure Wilkes, who has no you know feel for the game offensively, is probably just like, well, we gave him a two-year deal. That means he's got to start at right tackle. That was a great part about Bruce Arians. Love him or hate him, he didn't care what you made. Didn't care about your draft status. Like if you couldn't play, you were out of the lineup. And yeah. so I that I think that that's a little bit of a concern. If you bring if you keep Wilkes, is is he kind of a puppet to this to the fact that oh, I'm just going to play the big money guys? I mean, like you you mentioned it, Blake. Like. John Wetzel was their best lineman this year, potentially, and they didn't play him at all. And now he's hurt, and you're in a position where you have to start Andre Smith. I mean, we don't even know how good Corey Cunningham is because we never see him. I mean, he could be just as athletic as, as some of these guys that are starting. We just don't know. And so I just I, I caution them. It's fine you want to bring guys in one-year deals, but stop giving out big-money contracts to aging offensive linemen because mm-hmm. the, the number one thing is they just they can't stay healthy. I mean, Evan Mathis yeah. was supposed to help lead this team to a Super Bowl in 2016, and they gave him a, um, a one-year contract with an option for another year, and he literally was out for the entire season, I think played one game. I mean, just you, lead offensive linemen do not have free agency. That's why you have to draft and develop them. And, and in Indianapolis, I think it took about 18 months to turn their offensive
0: line around. Oh, yeah, it was really quick for that one. Some of that was – I even think I retweeted the stat the other day. They took a first-round offensive lineman like almost four years in a row and then found a guy who was an undrafted free agent who turned out to be a stud. And that's kind of, I think, the key is it's spending those high picks on the offensive line, something that Steve Kime, he basically did up until 2015 – And then after that, it's like they dropped off saying, we need to retool this defense. we got to compete. We're losing guys on defense. And I think what the Cardinals probably at least should have done was maybe you could have paid those guys on defense, extended it out a little bit longer, similar to what the Seahawks did. Eventually, you'd have hit that one. Tony
1: Jefferson. There's no reason Tony Jefferson shouldn't be on this team.
0: Yeah. yeah, And then, I mean, in I know DJ Swearinger is a guy who didn't really fit the Cardinals locker room. He was a great time time sign for the need for that year. He's kind of turned into being a not quite all pro, but a pro bowl caliber talent for the Redskins. Uh, he's also turned into kind of a very vocal leader. There's been obviously a lot of questions at least about whether he would fit what the Cardinals look for maybe it's just kind of that type of identity I think has been what's missing and that's why Andre Smith I think is still continued to play is that Wilkes has still wanted to have an identity of running the football he's wanted to have a game plan similar to have the head against the Chiefs and I think that's why they keep him there it's just an area of when you've got a player who's so skilled in one area specifically and then is so bad in another you have to try to protect that weakness and that was one of the areas of when you've got a young offensive coach in Byron Left, which they did didn't. didn't put anyone to his side they also had i think in one area they had a rookie uh it was almost a rookie on rookie crime where uh, chase edmonds was supposed to go out did not pick up the guy who was blitzing rosen off of the edge didn't ship whether it was going out in his route and so that was the area of you just don't really have the personnel or the talent for a lot of those areas either and so i think that does reflect negatively on kind but one thing i do want to point out john is we're in this position where we can talk about day two and day three picks because of Steve Kime, with because of him being able to use the Raiders, trading up for Rosen, only giving up that extra third that they had and being able to use that comp pick to land Mason Cole. So that's one of the advantages that the Cardinals will have over a team like the Jets, over a team like the Ravens, uh, even over a team like the Buffalo Bills that are not going to have these second round picks and they don't have good offensive lines either. So that's something the Cardinals I think can have to their advantage. Uh, Let's go ahead and let's move into talking about the game today, John. We've got a terrible lifeless, uh, kind of t- tanking even as far as close as you can get to it. Oakland Raiders team, where they've got Tom Cable as their head coach. Their defense is a mess. They've been cut in players left and right. Martavis Bryant is hurt. Derek Carr is taking tons of sacks. He's already thrown, I believe, eight picks on the year. Uh, the last game, I believe, ended was Carr on fourth down, just basically running away, throwing the ball in the dirt as they had guys just blowing past him. This is a, one of the few teams where you go and you would expect the Cardinals – to not win, maybe not even dominate, but you'd expect at least a pretty convincing win on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I think, first of all, they're favored by five points. Yep. I think they're the only team I think that the Cardinals could face this year and be favored against, I think, that if they play the, the Niners. Lions, yes.
0: Maybe the Lions at home might be a split. I don't know. So, but I'm I not do. sure. It might be a three-point even for that one. That's if they keep showing up like they did and beat the the Raiders like they did against the Chiefs last week. But, yeah, yeah.
1: I, they, they, they would have to be trending up, uh, and I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, because the Cardinals I still don't think are very good. Um, the Raiders are worse, but they're worse on purpose. The Cardinals wanted to be good this year. The Raiders mm-hmm. didn't. The Raiders had no intention of competing this year. They've traded away two of their three best players. They have no pass rush. We mentioned the comment that Wilkes made earlier about their pass rush. They literally are last in the league. The Cardinals are actually second in sacks, I think, something very respectable. The Raiders are last, 32nd in generating pressure at the quarterback. Bruce Irvin and Cleo Mack were their two top edge rushers. They got rid of both of them. Uh, Amari Cooper is no longer on this team. You just mentioned they lost Martavius Bryant. Uh, they've got no notable players. I mean, it's going to be the Derek Carr and the Doug Martin show. So if if those two individuals can beat you by yourself, then you've got bigger problems. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 Jordan Nelson's questionable. Uh, two of their three stud interior the offensive linemen are questionable. Colton Miller, their left tackle from UCLA, that they mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of intertwined with 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 Josh Rosen in more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Has had a, a very subpar season. Brandon Parker, who's their right tackle, is is really bad. Uh, I mentioned this on Sunday. The, it's so bad for the Oakland Raiders. Frosty Rucker, who I believe is like forty, has to be forty years old now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, is is their left defensive end, their starting defensive end. In their oh front. man, it is it is it's brutal. Timeless. They're old and slow defensively. The Cardinals should be able to put up 30 points i say this every week i feel like i say this every week that they, they should be able to put up 30 points and then i watch the game i'm like why am i such an idiot why would i ever bet that this team could put up 30 points i'm going to say it again i think they do put up 30 points this week because the raiders are that bad because i think the weight raiders have quit and i think this is a good game for josh rosen to pump up his stats pump up his um enthusiasm hit i think that the cardinals offensive line Hopefully they go max protect. They learn from last week and go for six and seven-man fronts, work off a of play action, get the ball quickly. Because at the end of the day, like the Cardinals, even though they're terrible up front, like they can still be beat by average to below average players because they're just that bad. Like Andre Smith, a lot of the time, it doesn't matter who's rushing the pass for it you know, Fossey Rucker could have a big game. I, that's, that's how little I think of the Cardinals. You
0: well, know, they got Arden
1: key too. I think he was a third or fourth round pick from LSU. Like, yeah. And have-
0: Maurice, Maurice Hurst is the one guy who he's shown flashes. It's kind of like, it's not quite DG, It's just been an area of, there's been some consistency. Then there's been some inconsistency. That's the one thing he's been consistent as being inconsistent, but he's still been able to get pressure overall. And that just shows that the, again, the eight sacks on the season, Chandler Jones is going to basically have, you know, uh, maybe double that himself this year. And- yeah. I feel like that's where all of the Cardinals' strengths that they have, their strengths is in running the ball. Oakland is pretty bad overall run defense. The Cardinals, at least, are strong in being able to get pressure. The Raiders have had a terrible offensive line. The Cardinals are strongest at being able to say, hey, we need to basically you know, put out and stop the run. Raiders are – team that gets behind it and usually having to throw the ball and i think it's going to come down to if the raiders are making this a game for the cardinals that's going to be concerning on a couple of levels maybe the raiders see this as the one opportunity they have a bit more of a push whereas the cardinals are coming off feeling a bit more positive about the chiefs game i'm i'm not quite sure but john if the cardinals do end up losing this game or end up being in a spot where it's much closer than we'd like to think especially even at home what what do we think of what are we kind of to make of this team if that's the case because I'm not buying into the 30 points for that one I still think the Cardinals ultimately are who they are but I do think that they could walk away with maybe a 21 to 10 victory kind of get up in the first half of a couple of well-designed drives limit the Raiders and what they can do offensively and then in the second half just be able to kind of dial it up put the game away maybe you get a garbage time touchdown or something for Oakland but it seems like it's that sort of game and if it wasn't like that if it turns around or if the Cardinals get off to a bad start end up dropping this game just because of the Raiders team can find a way to be motivated and you're for whatever reason not against a beatable team what are we going to kind of make of this team if we kind of take that worst case scenario
1: I think if I think if Steve Wilkes loses this game, I think he's gonna lose his job. I think that because I think that you lose this kind of game to to this kind of team and it can spiral out of control again. I think we'll hear rumblings of players quitting like they did Thursday night against Denver. I think Steve Wilkes will be fired at the end of the year if he loses this game. I would I would be very surprised if he survived a loss like this at home against a team that's openly tank, tanking games and you lose and and it, it, again if they lose it's because they're not going to score enough points because the Raiders can't light the I think the Raiders have a touchdown in like three games the Cardinals if they lose this game it's because they're so egregious offensively uh, I just think that right now you go into next year having lost to a Raider team that quit having to beat San Francisco twice those are your only two wins I think he, he I think he loses his job. I think this is the beginning of the end for Steve Wilkes. I'm not I'm not saying he's safe if he wins, but I I, I would be very surprised if he was still employed by the team if he lost to this to this Raider team.
0: Yeah, I'm, I think that's what's interesting to me. And this will kind of the question I'll throw back to you then, if you're having to talk about Steve Wilkes after a loss in this to a terrible team being kind of the catalyst for him losing his job does that mean then if he wins this game or if at least whether it's the team looks competent maybe they even I don't think that this team is capable of blowing anyone out as they're currently constructed the offense is just not capable of that yet You'd, even with the defense if they force you know five turnovers like the Niners game it was still a game up until the fourth quarter it's the point where whether it's a win or a loss you're questioning about it to me that doesn't seem at least fair to have it hinge so much in one game sure it's an important game overall but to me if you're having to question if the cardinals lose this game then that means that our head coach is not going to be the head coach next year and it's 10 games into the season to me that just that tells me that you don't have the right guy in place if you're even having to question this john that's that's where i come to it's not a hey let's see if you're making positive progress or turning the corners still have that doubt in your mind that you're having to question it and even with Bruce Aarons with other spots with Ken Wisenhunt with all those struggles you still knew that you had the guy overall for what they had shown so for me that to me is kind of an indictment I'm not sure what your thoughts are on that or if you really do think this is more of hey you win this game we want to see the same forward progress that will keep you your job it's more of the week-to-week type of basis to evaluate or you lean towards this it doesn't really matter one way or the other if you're questioning that he, he should be gone then, shouldn't he? Yep, yep.
1: I go back to the, my point about Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan can lose 14 games this year. It doesn't matter because they know that they're lucky to have him in place. They're lucky that, that he chose them, essentially. Kyle Shanahan could have had a lot of different jobs, but they know that he can elevate players. He can score 30 points on any given week. It's an offensive league. The Cardinals yeah. don't know what Steve Wilkes does well, and it's it's November 15th. Like that's a, that's a huge problem. They have no indication of him being able to lead this team to, to anything to 500, much less the playoffs. I mean, I, I think that right now because he blundered the offense so badly that has given me every reason to say, this is just not our guy because your judgment offensively was so poor. now part of that was because he was gifted Sam Bradford by the GM but he chose Mike McCoy. He himself, and blake, you've you've heard rumblings of this, just doesn't have a feel for the game offensively.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: unacceptable in two thousand and eighteen. You just can't be that uneducated on offense. You just can't. And then when you when you make statements like, Again, like thinking the Raiders have a good pass rush, just little things like that that just start to build. Like Michael Bidwell sees that. Steve Kime reads that. I mean, they're, they're, in, the, they're in the know. Um, the only way I think he can save his job is if, if Michael Bidwell basically goes to Steve and says, this was your guy. What's the problem here? And if Steve Kime needs Steve Wilkes to succeed to keep his own job, that's the only way he's staying. But if Steve Kim has enough pull with Michael Bidwell just to, to acknowledge what we're all seeing, that this guy just isn't the right fit for this team, he's not a head coach, then I think he'll be allowed to move forward. I, just, I, I don't know how you are this bad offensively and survive.
0: Yeah, and I think that was when they came in. You hired a defensive coach. The offense was what really needed the fixing. And that kind of actually as far as for with Wilkes picking and choosing at least with McCoy, the rumors beforehand were actually that he did want DiFilippo as his offensive coordinator. That was the guy that apparently he wanted to bring in. Uh, The things that I had at least heard and a lot of the questions that people seemed to line up that made the most amount of sense was the Cardinals knew that Wilkes was a first-year head coach He was a defensive guy. They wanted to bring in a guy who had experience before, who was a former head coach, kind of to see if they could have some of that balance. You want to talk a little bit about with how the Rams brought in the defensive guy in, um, you know, Wade Phillips to kind of help balance that with Sean McVay. Might not have needed to, although it's been a huge help for McVay to be able to obviously just focus on the offense and his quarterback, be able to kind of you know put in the time and effort to be able to read what's happening on the field, get that in the microphone to Jared Goff as Goff develops. Uh, I think it was more of that Kaim and Arians, this is, it does kind of fall on Steve Kaim ultimately because he's the one who made the Wilkes hire, but it falls down on, if that's the case where this is a guy that Wilkes took because he didn't have any idea what the offense was, it's not really even Steve Wilkes' fault. I mean, it's like guy was put on him. You should have obviously just gone with Byron Leftwich from the start of the year. They wanted a bit more experience. It's been a huge whiff as part of why people have a whole lot of questions, but it still comes back down to the ultimate thing we've seen with the head coaches. Through nine weeks out of the year, he's been in over his head. Through Week 10, they showed a great game plan, a way to limit, and that's kind of the thing that I'll be looking for in this Raiders game is can they consistently have those game plans where you're starting to see, okay, we're starting to see whether it's the blitz packages, whether it's the way the defense is made, if they're still adjusting. Are you able to limit the Phillip Rivers? Are you able to get pressure just to keep the team in those games while you're being able to develop? That's what I'll be looking for is if you do end up finding that forward progress I think that's going to be a huge marker. saying, hey, if we get to the end of the year, Cardinals go from 29th and rushing, they shoot up to maybe, say, 18th. You start seeing the defense actually turn around. Maybe the defense gets four interceptions of Matt Stafford, wins the Lions game. You start seeing areas are like, okay, this is something we can work around. We found kind of an identity for the team. We found identity for the defense. Now we just have to get the offense figured out. That, I think, would be the area that you can get to. The problem is, is that usually you get to that in, like, Week one or two. I think it was, I think, uh, what was it, the second week, Bruce Arians had a defensive win over the Detroit Lions. It wasn't necessarily an Arians style or Arians type win, but. It was a win that they went, they worked for, they fought for, and you got to say, yeah, this is okay. We can see the identity. We saw the deep shots. We saw what they did. I think they had a wheel route to Andre Ellington. You saw some of the creativity. And then you just saw the defense being able to use the blitz and bait Matthew Stafford into terrible interceptions. You're like, okay, we've got the identity for this team. That's what I think Cardinals fans will want to look for, is what is seeing the identity of this team take form against the Raiders, because that'll be the good sign. If they don't see that or if there's struggles or if you end up seeing a setback, that's going to be a major concern. I don't think we're going to see as much. I think it's going to be a Cardinals victory overall. I would still go with a 21-10 prediction. I think that this team is just too talented and it still has too much fight left in them. But it wouldn't shock me if it ends up being a close game in the fourth quarter just because that's who the Cardinals are. I still think they have just too much talent on defense overall. And if the Chiefs and Cardinals came down to Justin Houston versus Chandler Jones, this game is going to come down to Chandler Jones versus basically uh, the guy you traded away and Khalil Mack for the Raiders. So John, before we head out today, um, let's get at least what some of your predictions would be for the game. And just what do you think will be the headline? If you had to pick one for next Sunday, after the uh, next Monday morning, wake up, there would be the headline that you would read for the Cardinals game.
1: Uh, I'll say Rosen dispatches helpless Raiders. Uh, I think he's going to have his first three touchdown game. I think the Cardinals are going to put up – I said 30 points. I'll stick with that. They're going to put up 31 points, score uh, four touchdowns, and kick a field goal. Uh, and I think the Raiders' score in the neighborhood is 17. So I'll say 30 to 17. The Cardinals win comfortably. Listen, the Cardinals aren't anything to write home about offensively, but neither are the Raiders. The Raiders have only scored 147 points. The difference is I think the Raider defense is far worse than the Cardinals' defense. The Cardinals – have a chance to, to really make their presence felt by playing at home. One of their last remaining home games this year, they play a lot of their second half games on the road. Uh, and I think the Raiders played up to the chargers last week. They played competitively. I think that took a lot out of them. Remember, this is a team that just quit a week two weeks before against San Francisco on Monday night football they, and their schedule down the stretch is brutal. They got the Ravens, the chiefs, the Steelers. The, I mean, the Ra- Raiders, this is their last winnable game of the season. It'll, it'll be an indictment on John Gruden if this team does not come out and play competitively, but I don't think they will because I think that that locker room has given up just like that GM and that head coach have, have given up on this year. They're looking toward Las Vegas. They're looking down the line. They're looking at this the 2019 draft. I think Derek Carr could be on the way out as well. So um, if, if the Cardinals pass rush is anything like it was last week against Kansas City, the Cardinals should win and they should win comfortably. I could see turnovers in this game uh, for the Cardinals in short fields. I think that could play, obviously, to, to Rosen's advantage. But I think this is the Rosen breakout game. So I'll say 30-17 to, uh, 30 to 17 Cardinals win big.
0: Yeah, I, I think if I had to pick a headline, at least that I would pick, I would pick, um, uh, well, I mean, you could go as I want you Mac or something, but I think that the headline would be like David Slays Grudaliath. Uh I think David Johnson will get 200 total yards in this game. I think this will be a breakout game for me at 184 yards last game against a Chiefs defense that was probably a little bit better for him. The Raiders are and they even had Justin Houston. I think that this is going to be one of the games they'll be back home. We'll have another week to be able to prepare. I think this will be the week where you'll see David Johnson get especially involved in the passing game just because there's going to be so many mismatches against those linebackers. I think that he'll probably be able to have about 120 yards receiving. Um, The Cardinals are one of, I believe, two teams this year that does not have a – a rush of longer than 20 yards I think that David Johnson will break a long gain at least whether it's broken tackles or just a play that Byron Leftwich will kind of have in his back pocket for a while just be able to run the ball using maybe a bit of misdirection I think that's going to be kind of what the headline will be coming out of the game Rosen as long as he can manage the game I don't think it's going to be a huge game he'll have to pass and put up a ton of stats but it'd be nice if you had a big play to Christian Kirk so that'll be my at least prediction for the game is it's still going to be 21-10 Cardinals uh, they'll play the game how Steve Brooks want to play it running the ball a lot being able to kind of get ahead early for the first time in a game Uh, i think that's going to be what you'll start to see with the cardinals as they come home all right well that will wrap it up for us here on this edition of the bird gang Blitz podcast as we wrap up john as always can you talk about where they can find your work and your tweets
1: yeah uh i am at johnny's football uh at j-o-h-n-n-y-s football blake where can they find your content
0: yeah, I'll be on Revenge of the Birds. You'll also be able to find, um, whether it's subscribing at least with uh, Apple Podcasts or with, uh, I know with Stitcher Radio, there's lots of whole new places with Google Podcasts even that we're going to be getting the, uh, the Revenge of the Birds podcast for right now. So thanks to all of you loyal uh, Bird Gang Blitz listeners that we've had at least. We're just um, super excited that you've been able to be with us through all this time. We're more than happy to break down the... Uh, arizona cardinals each weekend week out whether it's win or lose always still rooting for the cards so um yeah uh, that'll wrap it up for this edition and we'll see you next time my name is spencer hall my name is jason kirk my name is ryan nanny and when we combine we form the, the shutdown, shutdown Full fulltron
1: It's not Voltron.